I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Meet at the Mitt podcast, episode 13. It is Saturday. It is 7.30 a.m. here on the <laughs> on the West Coast, but I have two um, two East Coasters here with me. I am joined, as always, by Andrew Shorstad and Zach Mason here on May the 6th. And the Mariners lost last night. Um, Luis Castillo gave up a couple home runs, or I guess one big home run to Jordan Alvarez, and Matt Brash also got taken deep by Kyle Tucker uh, for the Mariners' loss at home. But... We want to start off with some positivity because I feel like the team has played much better over the last couple of weeks. I uh, really turned it around, even though the offense isn't clicking, the pitching continues to be excellent. And so I wanted to kick it over to my co-hosts first. Zach, what did you think of the fresh digs, the City Connect uniforms that the Mariners had on last night? Uh, I think that the City Connect uniforms are overall good, maybe even very good, not great. Um, I. I only have two real complaints about it. Uh, the first is I am for all of the references to his, the baseball history in the city of Seattle. I think that's wonderful. I think the pilots are a part of that. I think the pilots aesthetic is relatively dominant on the jerseys. The, the using that for the, the Seattle uh, typeface for the, for the word mark, I think they call it. Um, and you know, that's an actual MLB team. Like, I just, I I do not enjoy the prospect of wearing these against the Brewers, you know? That's like, that's annoying to me. Um, and my other complaint is the black pants, which I was for up until yesterday. I think on the field, they actually look like kind of bad. Um, I'm, I'm for, I still like the black visors on the caps, but the pants, I think, are struggling. Having said those two things, I think they're great. I think there's... Um, I think a lot. Hey, of... I thought you said that they're not great. Earlier. No, the... you said they're very good, not great. 
Yeah. Okay. I will. Other than that, they are great. So you take like <laughs> the great parts and then those things and we get at like good to very good. Um, yeah, no, they, I love that there's so much baseball involved in, in the homages rather than just like around the city. Because I think a lot of the things that make the references to Seattle and the Northwest are pretty, you know, people talk about like, I think some of the complaints about these uniforms are that the nostalgia of Mariners baseball is like a little played out that we got fed a lot of it, which is true, but we also get fed a lot of the things that like are iconic about Seattle. I think that would have been a worse choice and to go with all of the, the little details to, you know, from the my oh my patch and the Soto Mojo patch. And um, I think there was no realistic alternative to the Trident that would have been good other than like a rebrand of the compass rose. Um, so I think overall they're good. I think the most important thing is that they are aesthetically pleasing. Like there are some of these jerseys that I think are kind of ugly and that's, that's the worst case scenario. Like I would rather have bad touches, bad, um, bad themes, but be something that looks good because that I think is like what you actually have to watch is that it looks good. Um, and if you want to buy it, then you want it to look good. I think it's like kind of a tough look for them to be asking us to buy new merch at this particular juncture. Um, but we can get into that later. You wanted to start with positivity. So overall, <laughs> very good. Uh, aesthetically pleasing is the most important thing there. Aesthetically pleasing. I wish there had been some reference point to the turn ahead, the clock uniforms, which are the most iconic uniforms in Mariners history, even though they've only mm-hmm. ever been worn on the field a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, just some little detail would have been great. Um, other than that, that's what I got. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. When they dropped, I was very underwhelmed. I think I was like, okay. they, uh, And I, I think I tweeted out that they hit a, a single up the middle. And that's kind of how I felt about them, you know, for the first couple of weeks. But as I was watching them play in them, I think they started to grow on me. I think I like them a lot more now seeing them in action. I will say there are some people who look incredibly silly in them. For example, when they panned to Scott's service wearing it, I was like stifling laughter. I don't know why, but he looks incredibly silly in this. I think it's the pants. (laughs) (laughs) I think Logan Gilbert will look very silly in them. Um, But I think someone like JP, like JP, Cal, Raleigh, I think like those players were like made to wear these jerseys. And I don't, I don't really know why, but I feel like there's just some players that like much more naturally fit the vibe and some players and and coaches as as it may be that just don't. Um, So you know, I, I think that that's just going to be a thing we're going to have to live with. It's not like the regular white uniforms were like the uniforms you almost don't even notice. You know, these are very prominent and very, you know, very much a, a part of the thing. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of teams are dealing with this with the City Connects. You know, the Padres ones, re- they really went for it. And I, I, I frankly think that those are very cool. The kind of like Taco Bell 90s vibes. Um, but I think that there's probably some players that will look very weird in them if I if I looked at it too long. Um but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the of the uniforms now. I, I agree with Zach's, you know, um, view that I don't think they're great. You know, I, I don't think they're like a top five City Connect jersey. You know, Zach and I are here in the D.C. area. And I think, you know, in my opinion, we are blessed with getting to watch what I think is maybe one of the best City Connect jerseys, which is the Nationals ones. Um, I think they... I think the reason they succeeded was because they went for something that was still DC oriented. They have the the gray jerseys with like the cherry blossom iconography. And for those of you who aren't in the DC area, 
the cherry blossoms that bloom every spring are like a big deal in, in DC. That's like a, a big, like, you know, that's a big point of, of significance in this area. Um, but it's completely outside their current branding. And so that's why I think it's cool. It's like, you know, the colors are totally different. They don't have anything that's gray and pink in their color scheme anywhere else, but um, they went for it in, in a way that's like both connecting to the, the local, you know, things of significance, but it's still different. In, in terms of the color scheme and the Mariners jerseys are still within that kind of realm of blue, gold, green, you know, they've kind of existed in that realm for the pretty much their entire existence as a team. They're not really going for it in terms of the color scheme. And, and they may say, Oh, well the black pants, you know, like, okay, that's fine. But black is a neutral color, right? All told. It's not like the Mariners are wearing like purple out there. Um, and I'm not saying they necessarily should have, but this is kind of toward the point you're saying about the like turn ahead the clock uniforms. You know, those are red. That is very different. And it still works. You know, we we all liked the turn ahead the clock uniform. So I think there's still a way they could have maybe, you know, been a little bit more risky or a little bit more um, bold in their approach. Um, but overall, I think that they're solid. And I think the fact that they fit into their current color scheme makes it pretty much impossible that they could totally screw it up. So... That's why I think that, you know, it's one of those things that they would have been hard pressed to make this bad using gold and blue. Love all that, guys. Uh, I totally agree. I think the uniforms are pretty cool. I was a little unsold on them just watching the the promotional material for them because I had the same reaction as Zach, which is that, hey, they're basically pilots uniforms that say Mariners, right? Like, that's really what it is. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that inherently, but they do look a little nazier than i expected um the actual pilots uniforms are quite dull and they kind of are not that different from regular mariners uniforms which i feel like have a very specific like early 2000s early aughts baseball style to them that is fine but is a little bland to my taste so i like that they went with something a little a little zestier right and i do think they were zesty even if you don't like the black pants it's a much more it's a much bolder look, I'll say that, <laughs> compared to the regular uniforms. And uh, again, I agree with Zach's point. I think it's a little strange for the Mariners to be selling new merchandise at this juncture, given everything else going around the team. But I had fun with it. I think it was a good event. I think that they should do something like this basically every year anyway, just because like, you know, for the merch hounds out there and people like me who are really big on the color schemes and the uniforms and just the whole, the feng shui of the baseball aesthetic, like it's cool to have limited edition stuff you know what i mean like part of what makes the the turn ahead the clock gear so special is that it is like completely off brand and it's only been worn twice and so there's all this like mystique around it that i don't think you can really get in any other way other than having a little fomo from these limited time events and if this is a little taste of that i'm all for it um i do agree with both of you guys i would love to see different color schemes for some of their stuff it seems like that when it comes to the imagination regarding Mariners uniforms, we're in a pretty clear box as far as what colors they feel like using. They're going to stick with the classics, but um, I, I had fun with it. I really did. I thought it was a really cool event. Um, I like that they used the new, the new iconography on the uniforms on the graphics and stuff too. Like instead of having the regular compass rose for the Mariners S next to the score, they had, uh, you know, like the, the new version of the trident that they had on the hats. All that kind of stuff is cool. It's all very cohesive. I had a good time. The Mariners lost. 
McDougal Bats. McDougal Bats is a Bend, Oregon-based baseball and softball bat company, family-owned. They are big Mariners fans, and they build baseball bats and softball bats that are fantastic to use for your own league. If you have kids that are getting into their seasons now, I think we're in, at this point, you know, we are approaching summer ball. I know, at least in the Seattle area, we're, we're sort of in the midst of the high school seasons and, and middle school seasons, but if you have wood bat leagues, those typically get started around Memorial Day, at least for baseball. I think it is very worthwhile. Uh, one of the big perks on a McDougal bat is that they have a longer sweet spot and they are designed to last for really as long as you keep swinging that bat. Though they are not a composite bat, they essentially are incredibly sturdy. They are not liable to break on you. I actually have now a McDougal bat that I am excited to be cracking open this coming weekend, getting into games. So I'm I'm excited to track my stats here. If you go to McDougal Bats, that's M-A-C-D-O-U-G-A-L-L-Bats.com and order a bat. If you use the discount code G-O-M-S, that's GOMS, you will get $15 off your order and we will be very pleased. We'll get a little extra bonus from that as well. So go check them out. I want to talk about Luis Castillo first because there's a little concern on the street about Luis. His fastball is down. It's down about 1.7 miles per hour on average from where it was last year. That being said, that's taking into account the entire season worth of data. It's not looking exclusively at April. And there's already been a lot of discussion about how he's a guy who kind of ramps up to speed anyway. And he's pitched really well so far, right? Like, I mean, he gave up a home run on a bad change up to your Alvarez in the middle of the plate. It was really the only, it wasn't the only bad pitch he threw all night, but it was the only like unimpeachably bad. You're going to get a bad result on this pitch. He threw all night. Otherwise he made it through seven innings against Houston looking pretty sharp. Zach, how did you feel about the performance Luis put on last night? And are you concerned about the velocity or do you feel like he's doing the things he needs to do to be successful anyway? Um, I think one of the things that makes Luis Castillo a good pitcher is that he uh, is able to, he has so much in his arsenal that he's able to compensate when something is not going well. And that, like, I mean, for every baseball player, like, that's what makes an average baseball player into a great baseball player is that they can compensate. And I think that's what he's doing. I think his changeup was mostly great. He missed one. It was a very costly one. You can't make that miss to a hitter like Rodon Alvarez, especially with runners on base. Um, but, you know, that I'm not that worried about Luis Castillo. I think um, it's like, it's funny to me that his bad starts end up being like striking out basically a batter in inning, maybe a walk or two, and like three or four hard hits. Like, that's what an ace looks like is that that's what their bad, their bad outings are bad. You know, people, this, this run started with that Cardinals outing um, a couple of weeks ago where he struck out eight in five innings, walked two and gave up seven hits. But I think like only four of them were hard hit. And then he faced the blue Jays and the Astros and, you know, put up close to quality starts. 
right? Like that's, I, I really just, I feel fine about it. Um, I, the fastball is slower. I'm trying to look up live uh, how it compares to his previous years in when he's like ramping up. Um, yeah, so it is it is down even compared to uh, when he was ramping up last year. In, in May of last year, it was at 96. In March through May of this year, it's at like 95 and a half. Like, could be faster, but I'm not that worried about it. There's that's always sort of been the, the book on him is that he's like not a great cold weather pitcher. So I have no concerns about Luis Castillo. I do have concerns about um, what the offense can do when their ace is not acing, which is what happened last night. Um, but Luis Castillo is the least of my concerns. Yeah, did you know that Luis Castillo has almost equaled his F4 total? Well, sorry, has almost reached half of his F4 total from last year in seven starts. Um, wow. He had, he had 3.7 F4 last year. He's already at 1.5. So I, I'm not worried at all about Luis Castillo. Um, all of his ERA indicators are, are down compared to last year, like down in a good way, um, except for XFIP, which is pretty much in line with last year at 3.36. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't really know if there's much reason Besides the anecdotal, you know, I, I think I think that's kind of where people are getting caught up to is it's like, oh, this is a big game against a big team and our ace is blowing it. Like, should I be concerned about that? And and the, the fact of the matter is that the Astros are still a good team. Um, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later. They are not as good of a team as they were last year when they won the World Series. But that is still a great off. Like Jordan Alvarez might be the best pure hitter on the planet. You know, if we're just talking about the ability to hit a baseball, he may be the best hitter on the planet. Um, he's going to get his home runs in. And and he also has a now a notorious streak of killing the Mariners, which is extremely annoying. Kyle Tucker is another very good hitter. You know, he wasn't, you know, serving up long balls to Jake Myers or is that even his first name? I don't even know what his first name is. Um, <laughs> Jake, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He wasn't serving up long balls to these, you know, seven, eight, nine hitters. Um, so, you know, good hitters are going to, you know, get their home runs in against both good pitchers and bad pitchers. That's just kind of how it is. And Luis Castillo, I think, has looked fine. In fact, the Mariners, right, Evan, are, are tops in all of baseball in terms of starting pitching war by, like, a healthy margin. So to be concerned about the pitching, you know, at all right now, I think we all agree is not the problem. 100%. The Mariners actually are number one in both pitching war and in FIP. So there are... There's not just one metric that says they've been pitching really well. There are several where they are either at the top of the league or leading the league or, you know, right adjacent to Tampa Bay, who's been incredible as well. Yeah, I mean, like when you look at last night, Luis Castillo, obviously he he hung he hung that ball up to Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez hit it a million miles. Jordan Alvarez, like you said, is is arguably a top five hitter in baseball. Like when that happened, I felt a little deflated, but also like those are the licks you're going to take here and there when you play Houston, right? There's no way around that. Um, I think the more interesting discussion, and we'll have this later on the pod, is what's eating Houston's offense because they actually rank below the Mariners by a couple metrics. And that's really weird and really interesting. And who has been the culprit for that, I think, is an interesting discussion. But before we get into that, before we do all that, I want to do a little bit of the news because we're talking pitching and the Mariners have two pretty big developments on the pitching front. Let's let's tear the Band-Aid off first. Zach, Robbie Ray is out for the year. 
pretty big blow. It looks like he had Tommy John's looks like he did have Tommy John surgery in addition to the, the flexor tendon bundle, whatever that he's got going on. Are you concerned about him coming back? What do you think the timeline could possibly be? And how do you think this should affect the marriage decision-making maybe going forward? Well, I, you know, I think we talked last week about like what the Mariners need to do this year in race absence, because, um, bad news had already broken that he was going to be out for a year the last time we spoke. And, um, the answer to that seems to be Bryce Miller. That's definitely something that's on our agenda as well. The, I think the real news is the, that he also got Tommy John, which I think has a longer recovery time from, uh, the, the flexor surgery. Um, they're in very related parts of the elbow, but, um, a ligament and a tendon are different. Um, the, the UCL undergoes a lot of strain. I think it was probably a really smart, I, I assume it was a really smart call um, because if you're going to be out for a year anyway, and let me back up. The UCL injury happens two different ways um, for pitchers. Like you hear about them, talk about it. Some pitchers, it's like, it's just getting worn and worn and worn and worn and worn. And then one day it's gone and you, you just feel it snap. And other pitchers, it's like, well, you know, I had this elbow pain and like managed it through and then it like hurt a little bit and then I managed through it and then it hurt a little bit and then I managed through it. And eventually we decided it was the right time. Um, I think that wear on the ligament is just like happening regardless. And if it looked like Robbie Ray was headed towards Tommy John surgery, I think it makes all the sense in the world to just do it now, get the new ligament in there and make use of the fact that he's already going to miss an entire season. I think it puts on the table that he's going to miss part of next season as well. Um, you know, taking about a year to get back from surgery is pretty common for pitchers. A little more than a year is, is really typical. Um, Bryce Harper just broke a record in terms of getting back on the field after Tommy John surgery, but he's a hitter. He's not throwing at all. And that's much easier to do. So I, I guess in the end, the risk of losing, Robbie Ray for April of 2024 is, you know, the certainty of, of missing him for that month is worth really, really mitigating the risk that he's going to miss all of 2024 or all of 2025. So it was definitely the right thing for him to do. And I think probably for the Mariners too, because I think it's looking pretty unlikely that he would take that opt out at this point. I'm, I'm, look, I'm trying to find this in real time. And Zach, maybe you know something about this, but I thought that I had heard you know, there's been research done that shows that a pitcher's velocity will spike just before they need Tommy John surgery or just before an injury occurs. Is that, oh, is that, God, accurate? that feels so ominous now? <laughs> I yeah. never heard that before. Okay. I, and, which is and to I'm, say you're not, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm now spreading, you know, falsehoods, but I, I feel like I've read that somewhere. And if, if that's true, then, then, you know, maybe we would, we would need to rethink you know, Robbie Ray looking really stellar in the spring. Um, but again, you know, I, I feel bad even saying this now, now that I don't have confirmation on, on that research and I can't find it anywhere. Um, that, so take that for a grain of salt. Uh, that being said, <laughs> I, I'm not concerned really about Robbie Ray in terms of how it impacts this team, because as we just mentioned before, um, they're, they've had the top pitching war baseball without, Robbie Ray being a part of it all season long. So whether they can be good without Ray, I think is, you know, it already kind of an answered question. You know, they, they are capable of filling in. And now we know Bryce Miller like looks extremely good. And we'll probably talk about that in a second. Yes, it was against the A's, but all of his numbers, like the stuff plus numbers are super good. 
Um, I don't know if you Hold guys saw the. the... What, what's that? Hold that for the Miller segment. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We will hold that for the Miller segment. Yes, on to Robbie Ray. I am concerned because he is on the wrong side of 30. He is getting Tommy John. The likelihood is is not high that he will like return to Cy Young form. And so if that was your hope when the Mariners signed Robbie Ray, you were probably now disappointed. Now, not to say that that's impossible. You know, we've seen like Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, those guys who are freaking inhuman crazy, you know, have extraordinary extended careers. I don't know if that is Robbie Ray or not, but you know, the, the likelihood says that it probably isn't. Um, and so I think that Robbie Ray, we can hope when he gets back for him to be basically what he was last year, which is a solid number three starter. And I think that that's fine. You know, if that's what he ends up being, that will, that will still be a boon to this team, regardless of what their pitching depth looks like at the time, because you could quite literally never have enough number three starters. Um, but I, I'm not so worried about how the Mariners will fare without him. And maybe we can get into that now. Well, can, we, we, can we briefly touch, uh, go from TJ to TLS? Absolutely. Sure. I just think it is worth celebrating that uh, Mariners did end up uh, releasing Tommy Listella, who seems like a decent guy, and I don't want to dance on his grave about it, but it was killing the Mariners, and it is great to see that they no longer have a place for him on their roster. And we should mention... Instead of Tommy Lestella, I mean, he's not actually taking Tommy Lestella's place. I'm pretty sure he's taking Taylor Saucedo's place. Saucedo? I don't know how to say that. My apologies. I've never seen it in writing. Uh, but Juan um, 10 is here with the Mariners. Apparently, he's on the taxi squad, but we expect him to be on the roster basically at any moment. Are you guys excited to see Juan 10? Because I'll admit, I'm very excited to see Juan 10, not just because of the stuff and everything we've heard forever, but because he is the, the tail end of a very long trade saga that begins all the way back in the, in the great Nick Rumbelow era. Um, who did we, tra- who we got him for Edwin Encarnacion, right? That when we traded back for him, am I right about that from the New York Yankees? Yeah. So the first trade was, so one ten originally signed with the Mariners and then he was traded to the Yankees with, uh, jp sears incidentally uh and in exchange for nick rumelo which was <laughs> through disaster uh Juan 10 became very good uh jp sears got a little worse ended up going to oakland in exchange for frankie montas uh so we ended up getting Juan 10 back uh, as part of the encarnacion encarnacion deal in um 2019 then we put him on the 40 man um after like he got a lot better in New York and then he struggled once he was back with the Mariners and now it looks like he's good again. And he's just had such an up and down career. And that's why I'm kind of excited to see what it looks like because it seems like when it's good, it's great. And when it's not good, it's pretty bad. And that's intriguing because as a reliever, you can like really maximize the good, the good stretches and minimize the bad stretches. He's not even really someone I, I kind of like considered as a possible relief option for the team immediately this year or like an exciting relief option, but I think he certainly could be. I was thinking more along the lines of like an Isaiah Campbell, a Prelander Baroa, and I still think those those guys will come up, but the Mariners have no shortage of exciting young relievers uh, to add to an already strong bullpen in which, you know, as it's been pointed out in the past, it seems like every pitcher the Mariners like took a shot on has has panned out. Uh, Trevor Gott is is really good. Um, Gabe Spire's really good. Justin Topa's really good. Like they've gotten extraordinarily lucky or 
I don't know if it's luck or if it's, you know, they, they have this skill now that we know that they have, but um, they've, they've hit on pretty much every guy they've taken a chance on, which has just given them an unbelievable depth of bullpen pitchers. Gabe Spire Spear still has a zero ERA, right? He hasn't given up a run. Correct. He's been nails. I got um, it. Yeah. To the Tommy LaSella front, I think we all knew this was coming. <laughs> like when they didn't play him for a week and a half, I think that that's a, a pretty strong sign this is coming. And I think it really was just a matter of finding a guy to fill that spot. And, you know, that ended up being Taylor Trammell. Um, I, I mean, you know, in terms of the, the DH of it all. Um, so I, I'm not surprised it happened. I'm a little bit surprised it took them this long. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and I, I don't think it's really going to make a major impact on the team because we weren't seeing Listella on the field anyway. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, but it, it does reduce, it, it eliminates a lightning rod, which um, is perhaps to the detriment of some of the other folks who are struggling. Because what the lightning rod does is it attracts the lightning away from where you would otherwise want it to hit. But nonetheless, like, there's so little good news. Let's take it. The, the, the ire is now being spread around to pretty much everyone on the team. And, and I, I will say to this point, and I kind of, I guess I wanted to say this at the top of the podcast, but... I feel like the fan base is like a little bit feral right now. Like with regards to like <laughs> everyone is just like extraordinarily ups. Like everyone was pissed when the Mariners swept the A's. And it was funny for me specifically on the Logan Gilbert start, the one that was a uh, rain delayed. Cause I went to bed before that. Oh yeah, started. me too. <laughs> I went to bed at, you know, when I saw the, I, I, I was going to stay up to watch, you know, the first like half of the game. But when I saw that there was a rain delay, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn in early for the night and I'll see what happens when I wake up. Um, and so I woke up to a seven to two win and I was like, damn, that's really cool. Like, you know, that's what you're supposed to do against the A's. And then I went through the four U tab on Twitter and everyone was just furious. And I was like, what, why is everyone so mad? You know, they won seven, two. And, you know, I looked more closely at the box score and saw that they didn't score until like the seventh inning and everyone was pissed. They weren't pummeling the, you know, JP Sears or whatever. Um, I just think that, you know, sometimes perspective is necessary though. Like if you, if you hadn't you know, gone through the agonizing six innings of no runs, you may have a different perspective on it type of thing. Or maybe my perspective is limited because I didn't see the game being played in real time. But I feel like in general, Mariners fans are just like, <laughs> I feel like Mariners fans are as upset as Cardinals fans ought to be right now. <laughs> and in case you guys, can I push back against that a little bit, Durst? Because I think I disagree with you, not with where the fan base is, but that it is, um, lacking perspective or uh uncalled for i think my credentials as being like a, a an optimist about the mariners and looking for positivity is like pretty well established but 
they're 15 and 17, which just is not where they need to be. Like this was the window to make a move on some of the other teams, especially Houston, um, taking advantage of that period where they have like roughly been treading water while Altuve was out, while Brantley was out. Um, and instead, the Mariners have also been treading water, and their their overall uh, record is fifteen and seventeen. But you know, we've talked a lot in this group about you know the three of us about playing about five hundred against other good teams, and you know, I don't know what a good team is, but I know it's not the Rockies and it's not the A's. And when you take out the games that the Mariners have played against the Rockies and the A's, the Mariners are nine and seventeen, which is not an enormous chunk of the schedule, but it's more than fifteen percent of the schedule, and definitely more than fifteen percent of the games that they're going to play against other good teams. And I feel like it, it it does call into question a little bit whether the Mariners are going to pull this off. You know, I, I think the fourteen game win streak last year was so special and the reason that it was special was because it's so hard and it's so unusual to pull something like that off and i think you know it sometimes people like to discount it and say well the mariners weren't very good outside of that 14 game winning streak and like that's not fair either because the 14 winning streak or 14 game win streak did happen that is a part of their record but they would need to do something pretty good again i don't think they need to go ham like quite that hard and i see a lot of reasons to be optimistic that they will get it together you know basically the entire hitting core other than jared and jp are struggling at the same time and that's unlikely to continue um but those those 17 losses are are banked you know i'm i'm concerned about that and i think that's reasonable and especially to be in this spot so early in the year where it's gonna feel like they're just like clawing back and clawing back and clawing back like that's it's one thing to think rationally that it's certainly still possible it's certainly still possible there's 130 games left um but it's feeling like it's realistic that they could that they'll get better is i think a little bit different from like the feeling of optimism and hope and positivity that is what makes baseball enjoyable to watch and that, that, so that's what I'd say. No, I think you make a good point, though. And, and obviously those losses are banked and the Mariners have, I, I'm, you know, I'll be honest, they have played very frustratingly, right? It is frustrating to watch the Mariners. You know, they had a chance to win it last night against the Astros and they they didn't, right? They blew it in the ninth. We've seen them blow it in other games. We've seen them have bad records in one, lo- in one run games and in extra inning games and against teams that they should be and against pitchers they should be. Yes, I think that is all true. I guess what I'm saying is that I am seeing a team that just hasn't like put it all together yet, but that the ingredients are there for, right? Like we all agree the pitching is very good. So let's focus on the hitting. Pretty much every hitter this, this season has either is currently hot or was hot previously and is now cooled down Um, with the exception of, I think, unfortunately Julio, who I think ultimately will turn it around. But like you look at Ty France, you're struggling right now. The, the 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 like the under the hood numbers on France. I think the the concerning thing for him specifically would be like the hard hit rate is down, yeah. but he's getting he's getting a little bit babbipped. His contact rates are still very strong. He's not swinging at pitches that he shouldn't be. Um, 
you know, his ex-Woba is pretty much in line with, with what it was last year, although that was down from what it was in 2021. Um, but regardless, like I, and, and France is also like his home run per fly ball is at like 3%, which will not stick. He's going to start hitting some out of the yard. Um, so like a player like him, you know, I think that he is going to figure it out pretty quickly. You know, JP has looked very good. Um, you know, we know Kalnick is, has been pretty strong and right now he's cooled down a little bit, but I, I wonder, you know, how long it'll be until he starts to heat up again. But like, you know, you just go through the list, every player, either we know has, a track record of some success or um, has recently had success. And even Colton Wong has been like their best hitter in the last week, which is kind of wild. And I don't know if we wanted to even talk about that at all. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm seeing signs of, of, of a team that like, we just aren't seeing them all be good at the same time. And, you know, maybe that never happens. And maybe the Mariners do end up being like a 75 win team. And we're all really upset at the end of the year. Like that is definitely in play. But I think what is also in play, and I said this in the Slack the other day, I think it's still in play that the Mariners compete for a division title. And I know that sounds like a really weird thing to say right now. But you look at the division where it is right now. The Astros are are pretty much, you know, significantly worse than they were last year. The Angels are are the Angels, and they have dealt with a million injuries. And so the Astros, for what it's worth, you know, Luis Garcia is now out for the season. Um, Jose Abreu sucks. You know, like, things that, that were supposed to be good for them aren't good. I don't believe in the Rangers. Their bullpen is still garbage. They're pitching, you know, how long will it stay healthy for? Jacob deGrom is already hurt. I, I just think this is a very winnable division, and maybe that makes it more frustrating when the Mariners ultimately don't. But I, I think that this is a team that talent wise certainly has what it takes to put, you know, maybe not like a 14 game win streak together, but like, you know, maybe they put, I think I said this on the last show, they could put together a couple of other solid win streaks or just like a solid, you know, few weeks of play and get right back into the hunt. You know, I think that this is a team that has all the ingredients to do that. Do you disagree with that, Zach? No, I, I don't disagree with. That. Well, there's parts of that I don't disagree with. I think the Mariners still, you're correct that they have not put it together. And I think some of the folks who you would expect to be good, there's reason to think that they're still good. You know, I was watching um, before, before we hopped on today, I was looking at um, some of Julio's uh, whiffs from last August or last July when he was like going really, really well. Um, and they look very much the same because I feel like the word on Julio right now is like, oh God, he's just swinging through everything and it looks terrible. Um, but his misses look like the misses looked last year. He just has a very violent swing. And so it looks uh, at least pre two strike. He has a very violent swing. I think he usually does do the thing you're supposed to do, which is try to, once you've got two strikes, just make, you know, make contact, protect the plate, et cetera. Um, but Julio is, is not swinging through everything. Um, his swing rate is actually flat from last year and his contact rate is up. His whiff rate is actually down from last year. It's just much, much more noticeable um, because the balls that he's hitting are finding gloves. Um, you know, his BABIP is at 265. And that's, you know, you hear that and it's like, well, that's not wild. You know, that's like in the range of BABIP. Maybe it's a little low, but like players have 265 BABIPs. That, but not for a player who hits the ball as hard as Julio does, which he's still doing, and who runs as fast as Julio does, which he's still doing. Um, so I think that that he's very likely to turn it around and continue to be the guy that we saw last year. I'm just like, like yesterday, you know, he hit a ball that would have gone out in 15 of 30 parks. And that's with how far the ball actually went. Like, 
it would have also gone farther if it had not been 50 degrees and literally raining outside in an open air stadium that just like you know the humidity it's it's different for seattle right because the retractable roofs there there's the ones that like seal off the building and you can do some climate control in like that's how houston's works the mariners right it's just it's the umbrella it like sits on top so it's still open air so that all of that humidity is still in the building and it's as if you are playing literally in the rain and even on the road trip you know I sat through two games in the rain where the balls were not going out. So I think Julio's power is likely to get back. His his balls, his batting average on balls and play is likely to go up. I and I think Julio being good solves a lot of problems. Um, oh, for sure. And, so and I think I, that I think that if Julio was the reason we were winning some of these games, the attitude from the fan base would be different too. Like if if yes, I agree. With if that. Julio hit that hit that three run double yesterday instead of Colton Wong, I think people would be a lot happier. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, where I disagree with you is that the Astros are less formidable than they have been. I do not think that's correct. Um, you know, you said yourself like. Jordan Alvarez, maybe the best hitter in baseball. Uh, Kyle Tucker is very much still Kyle Tucker. Jeremy Pena is still very much Jeremy Pena. Rambo Valdez is still very much yeah, Rambo Valdez. I think Hunter what I mean Kyle. is that I'm. I think what I mean is that I'm sensing weakness compared to you know and years I past. They seem like a juggernaut, and and now they seem like they're mortal. I you know, and that's I think wrong. Like, I think a lot of that is because when Yuli Gurriel was not performing very well, it felt like, oh, well, that's the weak spot on their roster. And when their big signing is Jose Abreu and Abreu and he's not doing very well, it feels like, oh, they're like, they're down for the count because they're like, their big signing star is not good. But he's doing essentially what Guriel did last year. And I think some of the the weakness is coming from the absences of Michael Brantley and Jose Altuve. And Brantley's back on Tuesday. It was announced yesterday. Um and Altuve, he's back soon. He's already on the field doing work. Like it seems like his his thumb is is healing faster than expected. They lost Justin Verlander, but Hunter Brown looks basically as good, which is maddening because he's going to be around forever. Um, so I I agree that they have not been as good so far as they were last year but i think that's we talk about the mariners likely to turn it around i think the astros are really really likely to turn it around and i hate that i really really hate that but i think it's i think the mariners are more likely to catch some of the teams in the al east that have been off to hot starts than they are to catch the astros interesting i think that i think that you guys are both right and and for different reasons and in different ways Howard. i think it's the thing with Houston that's so weird for me is that their their offensive numbers overall are not very good so far. And a big part of that is that Jose Abreu has been definitively the least valuable player in baseball. And that's kind of a bitter pill for me to swallow because, frankly, I really like the contract that he's on. I felt like that was a good deal that they paid for in the offseason. I advocated for the Mariners to sign that same deal. So I can't really sit here on my high horse and be like, you know, wow, the they don't know what they're doing. I would have gladly had Jerry sign that deal uh, and it wouldn't have gone well the way it's gone so far. So but other than that, I think, yeah, Houston is uh, ninth by run differential. They're at plus 24. They're right next to the Red Sox, the Angels, the Brewers. They're ahead of the Mariners and the Blue Jays and the Yankees and all that stuff. I think that they are not 
the top five team in the league juggernaut they've been, but they are certainly like a top 10 adjacent team. And the Mariners do need to get past them the way that they've been playing so far. And I think in terms of the Mariners and the fan base and the way that all that has shaken out so far, consistency breeds confidence, right? Like the reason that people feel good about the Rays, not just because they are 27 and six and freaking awesome is because they played like that all year so far. If the Rays had come out and won 27 games in a row and then lost six in a row, people would be like, you know, scratching their heads a little bit more like, what is this? But when they play, when they, you know, you even it all out and it's all woven together, it feels like they're just a really consistently good team. The Mariners do a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde thing where the offense shows up and they score five or seven runs and you think, oh, you know, like Eugenio's breaking out of it or Ty France is breaking out of it. And then they do zero one three runs over the next three games against a bad opponent and you're 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 trying to make sense of it and it just doesn't and you've seen this because they've sweeped and been swept most of the year so far right like they just swept oakland they came off of two bad series against toronto and philadelphia where they went uh two and two and four right and it's just there's no consistency to it and what i would say to everybody who's looking at this and trying to make sense of it like we are is that April is over, but it's only May 6th. And regardless of how Julio has looked, regardless of the fact that Ty France is basically a singles hitter today, it's just a month, right? It's just a month. There's six months of baseball. And that's some of the beauty of the sport relative to anything else is that baseball is this marathon. And yeah, we're done with a month. We've seen about a quarter of the, the total baseball that there is to be played so far. But the rest of that book getting written is going to matter way more than anything we've seen so far. And last year, the Mariners over the summer ate the league's lunch. Are they going to do that this year? I can't tell you they will. I can tell you they are ahead of the pace they were at last year. And if we're viewing this team through the lens of last season, which I think the Mariners are internally, and we should to some degree as a fan base, then we are on track. Do they need to play better from here on out? Yes. Go ahead, Drews. I know you have something to say. I was going to say, I don't know if I agree that they should view it as staying on pace with last year, because as Zach mentioned, you know, they are not likely to be on another 14 game winning streak. And that that pace will quickly (laughs) catch up to them if they don't stay ahead, like consistently ahead of where they were last year. Um, But, you know, to that point, I will say this is now the third year in a row. We've seen them come out to a sluggish start to the season. And the last two years, they both ended up being a pretty good baseball team. Not that that's necessarily indicative that they will do it a third time, um, but it could be. I, I think that, you know, this is kind of the same refrain we were singing last year, which is that the team that we will have is here largely. Like, this is not a team that will make significant upgrades. And last year, they actually did end up making, you know, a significant upgrade with Luis Castillo. But even if they go out and they acquire, like, a Tyler O'Neill at the deadline, you know, that has not demonstrably changed this team. That does not change really what this team is. It's not like in 2021 where they had a bunch of, you know, guys coming up throughout the year who are all expected to make major impacts. I don't know if that's really going to be a fact, a factor this year. I think Bryce Miller is like the guy that we were waiting on that, that could have had a major impact on this team. And I think he will. Um, but yeah, I think this is the team that they have, and whether that's good enough or not remains to be seen. I, like I said before, remain fairly optimistic that they will turn things around and be at least an interesting team that that is competitive. Now, whether they, you know, seal a playoff spot for themselves or not, you know, who knows? But um, for some people, that might not be enough. Well, you said the name. Let's talk about Bryce Miller because 
Bryce had a pretty incredible debut. Ten strikeouts, uh, six innings, seven innings. One of the the best debuts in Mariners history. Zach, tell me about Bryce Miller's debut and tell me about how excited you are to see him taking that spot going forward, pitching this weekend against Houston. All right, there's something I want to say about Bryce Miller right off the top. I have seen a lot of, you know, God, I, I can't find the adjective, so I'm just going to turn it down to an, into an adjective. There are jackass takes about the fact that this debut was against the A's, and people say, you know, ah, can't wait for his MLB debut on Sunday. Um, listen, the A's are bad. We know this. But only three other times this year has a starter struck out 10 A's. Three, only three other times. Uh, Otani did it on opening day. I don't know if you've heard of Shohei Otani. He's a pretty good pitcher. He's uh, all right. But he also walked three when he did that. Uh, Hunter Green, uh, also a very good pitcher. Uh, he struck out 10, but walked three. And Jacob DeGrom, who also you may have heard of as the best pitcher on the planet, he struck out 11 and walked zero. Those are the only other three play- pitchers to do it. Otani didn't do it the second time he faced them. Stroman didn't do it. Bieber didn't do it. Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen. Like, it is an actual accomplishment, even with the A's being bad. Uh, Marco Gonzalez has never struck out 10 hitters in an outing. Not once in 158 games. You think he's never faced a clunker of a team, a bad lineup, having a bad day? Never done it. George Kirby's never done it. Chris Flexen's never done it. Logan Gilbert's done it once, but not without walking anybody. Castillo's done it struck out 10 and walked zero once in his entire career. Felix Hernandez struck out 10 and walked zero only 10 times in his entire career. Like this is a real thing that Bryce Miller did. I don't care that it was the A's. Having said that, obviously the Astros will be a tougher challenge. I am so excited to see it. I had heard so many good things about the fastball. I think it is very different to see it in high def and see Hitters just not know what to do with fastballs in the zone. That is, I think, the hardest strike to get in baseball is uh, getting hitters not to hit fastballs in the zone, right? Like, even when Jared Kelnick was at his worst and swinging through everything, he was hitting a lot of fastballs in the zone. Um, and so a pitcher who's got that as his first pitch is, and to have it be that good right away is extremely exciting. Um, Pitchers often, I think, have, um, you know, they have adrenaline spikes that cause their their pitches to play up even better than they do. I think your debut is when you're likely, one of the instances when you're likely to see that. So maybe it doesn't look as good in the future, but um, it was amazing. He only threw one changeup um, in his entire outing. And, Which like, he got a strikeout on. He did. I'm actually very excited about that changeup. I'm going to write about it this week. Uh, Spoiler alert, that's going to be play of the week this week. Um, so his other pitches were, were also pretty good. And I think when your fastball is as dominant as his fastball is, I don't really care how good your other pitches are. And I think that we're seeing a lot of people say, you know, I, I think to an extent, it's also what do my eyes see? And my eyes see that the A's were swinging through fastballs down the middle, so they must be bad. But I think it's... I think it's hard to understand just what that fastball looks like. Um, there was a tweet out there that that showed the number of fastballs with a less than 10 inch drop 
um, in a single game this season. And it was all Spencer Strider starts. And then the one Bryce Miller start where he had like 28 pitches or whatever that had a less than a 10% drop. And that's what people talk about when, when you talk to major league hitters, they'll say, this guy has a rising fastball. Now, of course we know that, you know, physically a, a fastball cannot rise, but what it basically does is it, it creates an optical illusion where it looks like it rises because it does not drop very much. So as the pitch gets upon you, it looks like it's coming up to you. And so that's what the hitters were seeing. That fastball may be down the middle, but it like rose up on what they expected it would be because they're expecting a fastball to drop more than it did. Um, and that's why that fastball is so special. And that's why, you know, you will see swings through it and you may see actual good hitters just swing straight through one of those fastballs down the middle. Now, the fact that he was throwing some pitches down the middle you know, maybe isn't ideal, but we saw he didn't walk anyone. You know, his control has been pretty good, and I feel like that will improve throughout, you know, his his year here that he he may start spotting his pitches a little bit better. And if that happens at all, like, that is an extremely dangerous pitch. If he can, like, put that wherever he wants to, that's going to be, like, really, really exciting. And it wasn't just the fastball, right? We saw um, they, they sent out the Stuff Plus numbers, which is Eno Saris's statistic for um for pitches and he has four above average pitches well of course he only threw the changeup one so small sample with that one but he has at least three above average pitches which is really good if you are hoping for him to stay in the starting rotation because there was some you know relief risk with him and maybe there still is but this now seems a lot more likely that he will <clears throat> that he will stick in the starting rotation um, and, and all the under the hood numbers in terms of his, his pitch characteristics were really strong. And that's another reason why we shouldn't worry that it was just the A's because he was doing things with his pitches that few other guys have done independently of what team they were facing. Yeah. It's just the last thing I want to say about Bryce Miller really, which is, um, I'm always a little hesitant at overreading body language. Um, but I think what Bryce Miller was doing was so extreme that it really needs to be noted. He looked so relaxed. I mean, he looked like he had been pitching in MLB for 10 years. Uh, and that was in his debut. And I like, I just, I often think about when Justice Sheffield was first called up to make a spot start when they were trying to stretch out uh, Yusei Kikuchi in 2019. Uh, we've turned this into remember some guys. Uh, he was panicked out there. He looked so nervous to be there. And I understood why, and I think everybody was willing to cut him a break about it. But then he got more confident and felt looked more mature on the mound as as time went on. Bryce Miller doesn't is clearly not going to have that learning curve. I mean, he was cracking jokes in the middle of like the one time that he struggled. Like Cal went out to to seemingly to calm him down, and he was like, "Whatever, dude, I'm fine." That's really encouraging. I'm I'm really stoked about his his mound presence. Uh, in addition to the pitches he's actually throwing. I think that is a really dangerous combination as a guy who can keep school under that sort of pressure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 100%. He was ice cold out there and just incredible poise from a rookie. What I want to talk about in relation to Rice Miller is that let's back it up a week. The Mariners. Robbie Ray's out. Chris Flexen has been shelled into oblivion, and we may barely see him for the rest of the year. The Mariners get a spot start from Easton McGee, who throws. Was it a no-hitter, or was it a perfect game through six innings? I think it was a perfect game. I think game. it was a perfect game, yeah. It was a perfect game through six innings. Uh, that's nuts, because Easton McGee is not supposed to be anything. I want to give tons of credit where it's due. The Mariners pitching development training system whatever it is they're doing seems to work because when you lose a Cy Young winner a pitcher of the caliber of Robbie Ray and you switch to Easton McGee and you get a pitching performance like that you take that to the bank and then when you bench Easton McGee essentially banish him to the injured list so you can you know play with your fancy prospect and your prospect goes out and throws 10 strikeouts in his debut like what is this this is an embarrassment of riches is it not i have seen the mariners deadpan straight-faced pitch blake bevan as like a prospect (laughs) this is not that this is just not that this is the most fun i have had with young pitchers in forever are you guys having as much fun as i am because you know, Castillo to, to Gilbert to Kirby and now Bryce Miller in there. That's awesome. I mean, and don't it's, forget, there's still a couple of guys down there, right? Like Brian Wu, people, some people are more excited about Brian Wu than they were about Bryce Miller. Um, Prelander Baroa is probably more of a Matt Brash type and that he'll more likely be a reliever, but there is still an outside chance he's a starter. And if he's not, he's still a really good reliever. Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's going to keep coming. Um, I, I am very excited and it's it's great that we seemingly like get a new a new one every year. <laughs> um but yeah, that's that's gonna be great. Sorry, Zach, I know I cut you off there. No, I really I, I was basically gonna say the same thing you did, and I feel like it's just like kind of discounting Matt Brash, the fact that he turned into like a lights out reliever. I people are frustrated with him and I I guess I get it because like when he's wild it like that's just that's that's what Matt Brash is is that he's yeah. like a little wild and like that's the flaw that's why he's a reliever but he's striking out you know like half the batters he faces and it, what's going on with him is that he's got a Babbitt of 516 I know he ended up blowing the game yesterday but that was after what should have been strike three turned into a home run from literally Kyle Tucker like I, it's a bad moment to be praising Matt Brash but like Matt Brash has been dominant so far this year he's been one of the best relievers in baseball and that's like the guy we jettisoned to the bullpen do you know how many teams will be killing to have matt brash as a starter right now as like their big shiny pitching prospect from the last three years it's it's unbelievable what they've put together and we have no room for matt brash as a starter we haven't even like taylor dollard might be pitching on other teams right now too and we have no place for him, and we have no place for hancock who is a number six overall pick and admittedly has struggled more but is also like adjacent to deserving a spot on the major leagues and we're good we we've got the pitchers already like we're set and yeah in terms of matt brash like he's going to be a roller coaster when he's on nobody can hit him when he throws it right down the middle 
good teams are occasionally going to make very loud contact against that fastball. It's just how it's going to be. But you take the good with the bad, and he's been more good. He's still been a like if you look on fan graphs, if you look on you know baseball savant wherever, he's still really rated highly. He's still a very good relief pitcher. Here's a question for you. All right, so uh, we talk about him being wild, right? His he's only walking like actually fewer than four batters per nine, and with his strikeouts, uh, there are. Let me see here. There are 372 pitchers who have thrown at least 10 innings this year. Where do you think Matt Brash ranks by strikeout rate minus walk rate? 372. Where do you think Matt Brash ranks? Third. Audio? Top 15. Yeah, seventh. Seventh. Nice. Seventh. <laughs> He's That's like good. Half a point behind Jacob deGrom. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Matt Brash is fine. You heard it here first. Don't let anyone tell you Matt Brash is not fine. Matt Brash is fine. When that BABIP comes down, he's going to be, again, one of the most clearly dominant relievers in the league. Well, and we're, talk- it's- we're talking about all this, and they haven't even played Munoz basically at all yet, right? It's not It's not just BABIP. It's also his left on base rate is super low. Like All the all the indicators are are looking pretty good for him. But yes, Munoz, I, I do we what's the update? What's the latest on Munoz? Munoz is supposed to start pitching in Tacoma on Monday. It was what Jerry said on Thursday. Forgive so, me, but I have heard that song before with Andres Munoz, <laughs> and I am a little bit worried. I, there's been now, I think, three times when there has been there's no setback. We're just setting it down. And that's that's got me worried. One time it's like, oh, I don't know, maybe he was like feeling under the weather and whatever multiple times it's like how is that shoulder really like they say he's never stopped throwing they they keep saying there's nothing wrong but i don't know like something's not adding up about that and i am worried just sad because i was i was really hoping for andres munoz to be a an all-star in seattle and because he's missed so much time i don't know if that's going to happen hey you know he he may yet come back and make a big difference before the before the all-star game we don't know um, and even then, we're, we're talking about adding a guy who throws 103 to what is currently the best pitching staff in baseball. So, like, that's pretty good. Again, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. And before, and before Jared Depoto saying uh, Andres Munoz coming back is our big trade acquisition of the summer. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Get a hitter. Get a hitter. My Can I introduce you in, in Elvis Andrews? No, 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 you cannot. Dylan Moore coming back. Dylan Moore coming back to action is our big hitter acquisition of the summer. Well, you know, we're joking. The uh, uh, those Instagram captions saying, you know, talking about resilience are uh, not great. No, but we did get we did get Taylor Trammell back, who has uh, home runs only home runs only. I love that style. <laughs> he has no on base percentage because he has two home runs and no other hits. <laughs> well, uh, you still get you still have uh, you still get on base like they yeah. still count that as on base. It's a zero Babbitt because he has no. Okay, that's play. what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> zero Babbitt, two home runs, seven plate appearances, something like that. Uh, I'm really excited to have Taylor back, but I want to wrap today actually talking about the outfield. Jared MVP watch. Jared MVP watch. Every time you have the three of us on, we're talking Jared Kelnick. We're talking Jared. Jared is currently the number 25 most valuable hitter by Fangraph's war. He is 12th in WRC+. He has slowed down a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but he has continued to be the Mariners' most valuable player so far. Zach, you have been on this beat. What are you seeing from Jared? How is the MVP watch going? 
I feel like what we have seen over the last week is a good example of what good Jared Kelnick looks like when he's not, um, you know, like so hot that every single thing you say about him has to be cabined by like, it's not going to be good, this good forever. It's not going to be this good forever. Um, My, the thing that's really stuck in my head is on Thursday, he hit a double with two outs that then he was left on base. uh, And like, it was just very inconsequential, but it was like in a game where he'd not been doing much and he just like hit a double and he hustled out of the box and it looked great. And that's the kind of thing that a player, you know, when like, that's what a bad day looks like in the middle of a bad streak, he struck out two times that day. That's tough. But like, he's still, He's still getting on base. He had a hit yesterday. I don't know if anybody noticed um, because it was a really inconsequential hit. But hey, Jared Kelnick getting on base, even on bad games and bad days. Um, so that's what's got me high on him right now is that the the bad version of Jared Kelnick uh, still looks like he's producing. Yeah. Did we forget what bad Jared Kelnick looks like? Because it was like really, really bad. And Yeah, the new bad. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I, yeah I, I i totally agree it it is a little like i feel like <clears throat> you know when, when we were talking about jared kelnick legitimately as an mvp we were all like oh he's just gonna hit a home run like every day now that's just like the new reality but that's you know he's still he's still a baseball player he is not like a demigod but um i'm still very excited about him and, and the fact they're hitting him in the three spot is actually pretty cool to me because it does jerry quotes lengthen the lineup um to to put him up there a little bit higher. So I, I actually think I prefer him hitting two than three, but that's just a me thing. I like it. I like Julio Kelnick as the one two punch, but I don't know how you guys feel about that. It just makes me a little nervous if uh either JP or Colton Wong or both are down at the bottom of the lineup and then Jared is second. Like I just like a little bit of distance between the left-handed hitters um as much as possible. Right, right, right. But I hear what you're saying and I, I agree with like the principle behind him being as a, a good number two hitter. I think you just got to take the, like the circle aspect of it rather than like the line aspect of it. The other, the other cool thing I meant to mention, I'm sorry. Uh, he was in the middle of a, a, a two strikeout day when he had not gotten a hit and he was like, he called off uh Caballero and Teoscar to, to catch a ball sort of in the triangle out there when he was covering for Julio and center. And he was just having the time of his life. He was laughing, joking around, you know, again, I think like overreading body language is bad, but like, that's different from what we've seen in the past because his negative body language. is so obvious that like, he seems to be having fun on his bad days. And that's, I think really positive to see. And he got thrown out the other day, chirping at the umpire a little bit, but it was the only time that that's happened where I have been like super okay with it because he's been playing so well. He's earned he's earned a little zest, right? Like I don't know how else to put it. He's earned a little zest that he hasn't quite earned before in my eyes. And you never want to see him get ejected because he's the team's best player at this point. But at the same time, uh, you know, I didn't mind seeing a little fight in him in the, in that instance. And I'm really happy for the way he's played so far this year. I think you know we've talked about what do we rather have the Mariners have been better or have had this development from Jared. I still am banking this development from Jared because we need him not today, not tomorrow, but for a long time. And if he's this guy, the Mariners are in a better position. But I want to wrap today with a little sunshine. Can I give that to you guys? Can I give you some good news? You want to, you ready uh, for this? Can, can I? Can we do a little Schadenfreude first? Just 
I just absolutely can't let this go without talking about it. The Angels new press policy. Oh yeah, please, please. Yeah. So uh the athletics beat reporter Sam Blum uh wrote a piece about Anthony Rendon being terrible, um, which is sort of fun on its own. And in the towards the end of it, he writes this. I'm just gonna read the whole quote. Uh the athletic requested to speak with Angels hitting coach Marcus Thames. However, under our recently revised policy, the Angels allow coaches to speak to the media on a case-by-case basis. They did not permit Thames to speak with the Athletic about Rendon because the potential line of questioning was deemed too negative. That is hilarious. It's not great for, you know, baseball and for media, and I guess we're technically journalists, so we should be defending our own here, but, like, I'm sorry. It's just so funny that the Angels are, like, trying to cut off hitting coaches who've been through media training because they think that it's too negative. What a bunch of, of dummies over there. Def- definitely an organization that's going to retain Shohei Otani. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they let they direct all those questions to Phil Nevin, who is allowed to talk to the media. And that itself is also very funny because Phil Nevin is like supposed to be the cool headed, like on brand, like speaking out the talking points. This is <laughs> He sits on what is perhaps the reddest ass in baseball. Like, how is he <laughs> the guy that they want in front of the media? Like, imagine. Imagine that that's your guy that you put forward as, like, the guy who should talk to the press. Their organization is a disaster. Go ahead, Durs. I do have one, one more thing that I wanted to, to discuss, which is that we have a very important DFA announcement that just came in. Taylor Motter has been designated for assignment, guys. That is our new Ooh. hitter edition. <laughs> I really don't want him DHing for the Mariners, <laughs> but I also like now that I'm thinking about it. Am I sure I don't want him DHing for the Mariners? Yes, yes, yes you, you are. are. Uh, he had that one spectacular April with us, right? That was forever. Yeah, yeah, the, where he was just like. Pulling the ball in the air because hitter, pitchers didn't know that you shouldn't throw middle middle fastballs to major league hitters. I guess the funniest thing ever is just the fact that he invented his own nickname. Like he was w- the nightmare in Spanish, and everyone's like, "Oh, you probably got given that nickname by like a Latin teammate." No, he just thought of it himself. <laughs> just what a like tool! Most embarrassing <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, giving yourself a nickname is a big red flag. Sorry, that's just not how anything works. Other people have to bestow that upon you. You don't get to decide that for yourself. But... Sorry, Vanilla Missile. We still love you. <laughs> <laughs> we do love us and Walter Ford on the podcast. Um, what I want to wrap with today is that I think that the fan base is a little chirpy right now, right? They're a little, there's a little consternation over the way the team has played, despite the fact that the pitching has been so good. The bats have been ice cold. Some of the superstars haven't played up to what we would expect from them. But there are a couple of teams below the Mariners that I think we should point out. The New York Mets are 17 and 16. The San Diego Padres are 18 and 15. The New York Yankees are 17 and 16. And the Toronto Blue Jays are 19 and 14. Can I fact check you? Not a single one of those teams is actually below the Mariners. Not a single one of those teams is above the Mariners in run differential. Okay, great. That's that's the key here. The Mariners are a plus seven run differential. Blue Jays are plus five. Yankees are plus three. Padres, Mets, zero. So if you're looking at the early stats and thinking like there's anything definitive going on, there's still a lot of like shuffling yet to be done in this, right? There's There's a lot of movement yet to be done with these teams the mariners are very clearly sitting in a bottom tier as far as like 
good teams with playoff aspirations. They are sitting next to the Yankees, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Brewers with people who have a below 20 run differential. There are nine teams above them. And then there are the Tampa Bay Rays with a plus 115 run differential who are very much in a league of their own. So we have a long ways to climb, but the record in and of itself is not indicative of the way that the team has played so far. Is that fair to say? Um, no, I think I think 15 and 17 is like a plausible outcome for a plus seven run differential. I guess technically that's a team that should be 16 and 16, maybe 17 and 15. There's any rebuttal for that, or do we think we're uh, we're good for today on the Mariners? Nope, I I'm in agreement. Uh, let, let, let's say this: like uh, I was doing some math before before the podcast uh if you think they're they're a 90 win true talent team then over if they play at a 90 win pace over the 130 games that are left they win 87 games that would have been good enough to get into the playoffs last year so you're saying that my optimism is warranted <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah the situation is is not dire i think that's something that all three of us are really in agreement strong agreement on yeah it's been a 500 month Right, like end of, end of story. It's been five, six weeks of baseball. The Mariners are basically a 500 team. That is not the greatest fate we could have hoped for, but it is far from dire. It really is. Like the team could be in much worse straits, especially because the pitching is so good. All they have to do is have the guys who are already good at hitting and who have great pedigree at hitting hit a little bit. <laughs> the team will be much better. You know, like I I do see a path when the hitters are underperforming on the Mariners, I think it looks so much more drastic because like, because of the ballpark, they're yeah. always going to look worse than other offenses, right? When you like put their, their counting stats together, when you put their like batting averages together compared to other teams, like it's always going to look worse. Um, and so like, if you ever spend any time watching other baseball teams, the Mariners offense, when it is good, looks worse than those other teams. So when it's bad, it looks like really bad. And that I think is really like hampering the vibes. 100%. 100%. And it's invisible, right? Because we, we know that T-Mobile Park and the Marine Layer and whatever else is going on at home has these effects, but it doesn't always feel that way when you're watching the team, right? You don't always you don't always feel the Marine Layer suffocating the offense when you see Joran Alvarez hitting a ball out of the park. Uh, that's just the way it is as the human experience. But I feel like the Mariners are on track. I feel like everything is going fine. Do they need to turn it up at a certain point and be a better team than they played so far? Yeah, you better believe it. But this is the path. This is the way. They can do this. It's like last year around this time was really hard for me on the podcast because the Mariners went from bad to worse. And it really felt like we needed to stick a fork in them because they just weren't doing it. And they did. And so I have this unnatural faith still in me that they can do it again, but I don't really need to have that faith because they haven't played that bad. They have played what they need to play. They have, they've floated and kept their head above water and they're in a position where if they do play better, they're not in a hole. They're not below. They're basically not below 500. They are 15 and 17. They can finish up this series and be tied with the Astros right in the middle of the race. And that's where we want them to be. That's all they're treading water. They're treading water during their bad stretch. That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all we that's all we can hope for. And there are better days yet to come. And we know that because Julio is not going to not hit all year. Like, there's just there's just no way he's too good for that. Um, That's it for me. Do you guys have anything else for today? Nope. Nope. Go Mariners. Go Mariners. Two more games against Houston. 
I think the Mariners, I think they're going to win one of these games at least. And if they take two and they're tied with Houston and we're coming out of this at 500, I'm feeling really good. I'm Evan James. You can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Zach at Real Zach Mason. You can find Anders at Anders Jorstad. You can find the podcast as the obviously look at landing on Twitter, but we have the Mean at the Mitt Pod uh, Twitter as well. Um, shout out to our sponsor, McDougal Bats. We're going to have the ad in here. Use the code GOMS, GOMS at checkout to save $15. Give the podcast a little kickback. Everybody gets a good deal. Love the sponsor. Go Mariners. Love the City Connect uniforms. And we will see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.